welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Amen. Grab your Bible, please, and go to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Amen. <laughs> Luke 5. Woo! Word. All right. We're in our series on red letters. We're in the fifth week, and we're starting the fifth chapter of Luke. Donna said to me, she said, how long is that series going to be? I said, well... I might still be preaching on the words of Jesus come June. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, what better to, to pay attention to than what Jesus said, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to be working on the first 11 verses, actually, of Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to feast upon your word today. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate your word. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear, our hearts to receive. May our understanding be enlightened. May we be empowered because of your word today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We'll just read the first 11 verses to begin with here. It says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. That, that, that right there, that, that would flat preach. Just want you to know. And we're going to try to cross over it and touch it today. But I want to tell you, pray for me because I could get stuck right there. Okay, verse number six. And when they say, get stuck, pastor. Come on, just say, get stuck, pastor. Just preach it. Amen. And when they had, done, had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him, speaking of Jesus. Good word. Today, we find ourselves on the shores of a lake called Lake Gennesaret, or Lake Gennesaret, however, however you want to pronounce it. Amen. Lake Gennesaret is also known as the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. Gennesaret is the more ancient name for that lake. And this particular area was known and had been widely known as being an extremely fertile area. I want to read to you what Josephus said 
about this area where, where Jesus went to recruit Peter and James and John. Here's what it says. Here's what Josephus says. He said, it is described by Josephus as being in his time universally fertile. Its nature is wonderful as well as its beauty. Its soil is so fruitful that all sorts of trees can grow upon it, and the inhabitants accordingly plant all sorts of trees there. For the temperature of the air is so well mixed that it agrees very well with those several sorts, particularly walnuts, which require the coldest air, flourish there in vast plenty. One may call this the ambition of nature, where it forces those plants which are naturally enemies to one another to agree together. It's a happy conjunction of the seasons, as if everyone laid claim to this country, for it not only nourishes different sorts of autumnal fruits beyond people's expectations, but preserves them a great while. It supplies people with the principal fruits, with grapes and figs continually during 10 months of the year, and the rest of the fruits as they become ripe through the whole year. For besides the good temperature of the air, it is also watered from a most fertile fountain. This was Josephus' description of where Jesus went on Lake Gennesaret to talk to Peter and James and John. And I thought it was fitting to share that with you because I wanted you to get the same picture that I got that when Jesus went to recruit Peter and James and John to the ministry, he literally did it in an atmosphere of abundance. Did you see that? He did it in an atmosphere of abundance. He also did it in an atmosphere where plants that would normally fight with one another were actually conjoining with one another and working together. He also did it in a place where the scriptures say that there was plenty of fruit all year long, so it was universally fertile. So Jesus is here, and it's in this beautiful setting, almost a Garden of Eden type setting, in this beautiful setting where Jesus comes up to Peter and James and John, and the Bible said that he went there and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were out of the ships because they were busy mending their nets. And so Jesus looks at them, and Jesus enters into one of the ships, which was Peter's, and told him to thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught this group of people that had been following him out of the ship. When Donna and I were in Branson a few months ago, we went on a cruise, a little dinner cruise on Table Rock Lake. And we had a good seat. I mean, we were sitting up there with my best friend Wayne and his wife, and we had a really good seat. And we were looking down on this beautiful stage, and it was like a, the Missouri Bell type. It had one of them wheels on the back of it, you know, and all of this. And they told us that there were over 700 people on that ship. And I turned and I looked at Donna and I said, we should go home and tell everybody, forget about buying property. We're going to buy a ship and do it like Jesus did. We're just all going to meet out at the harbor and get on the ship and go on a dinner cruise every Sunday morning. We're going to have church and dinner together and all of that kind of thing. And so uh, we seriously talked about that for about 15 minutes and then decided that we were probably wasting our time. <laughs> it was fun talking about it, though. It was fun thinking about it. But Jesus got in this ship. And he told him, he said, thrust a little bit from the land and I want to teach these people. And so Jesus stood up in the ship 
so or sat down in the ship and began to teach. And you know, your voice carries across the water. And so there Jesus was in this natural amphitheater and he was ministering to people. After he got through, he turns to Peter and he says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Now this is the red words. This is the red letters. So what does Peter do? Peter looks at him and he says, Master, we have toiled all night long and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now there's a couple of things that I want to share with you here. Number one, right about the time that you think it's all said and done and you've done everything that you know to do and you've taken your toys and you've went home, it's very possible that God's going to show up on your situation and say, wait a minute, we're not done yet. And when we can get God involved in what we're doing, then things go a lot smoother and the outcome is a lot better. There is something to be said for obedience even when we don't understand. What Simon was saying is, I don't understand why you want me to do this, but I'm going to do it because you said it. It's your word. Some people say one word from God can change your life forever. I agree with that. But I would expand upon that in this way. I would say your reaction to one word from God can change your life forever. Because God can speak words over your life every day. Every moment of every day, God can speak things over your life. But until you and until I embrace those words and act upon those words, then we're not going to receive what we need from the Lord. I want to encourage you today, embrace the Word of God over your life. What is God speaking over your life? What is God saying to you? What is God saying over your life? Embrace those words, act upon those words, and see what happens. So Peter said that. He said, We've toiled all night long. We've taken nothing. But at your word, I'm going to let down your net. So we see that there is something to be said for obedience even when we don't understand the instructions. Secondly, something I wanted to mention to you is this. Attitude has a lot to do with what God can do for you. What if, what if, Peter would have said, you know, we've done this all night long. You're a really good teacher and we appreciate what you've done. But we're the professionals when it comes to fishermen. So we're going to go home and go to sleep. And you stick to what you do and we'll stick to what we do. What? I mean, there's people that would have said that to Jesus. Right? What if, what if Peter would have said that? They wouldn't have caught the fish that they caught. They wouldn't have filled their boat and their partner's boat up so, because their boats and their nets were breaking. Here's the thing. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Maybe they didn't catch anything all night because they needed room for what God had planned for them the next day. Don't give up in the midst of your activity, in your walk of faith, in your in trusting God and believing God. Don't give up. There's going to come a time. Payday will come someday. And there's going to come a time when payday comes. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, payday is today. Payday is today. So God's timing is perfect. God's techniques are perfect. There's one place where the Bible said that Jesus went and found them fishing and they'd been fishing all night and he got up in the boat and he told them to cast the net on the other side of the boat. And, I, and I've preached this to you several times and I probably will later on, but there comes a time when you've got to re-rig the boat. Those boats were fixed 
to fish from one side of the boat. I found that out when I was in Jamaica. A fishing boat is rigged to fish from a certain side of the boat. Jesus told them to cast your net on the other side of the boat. They had to actually re-rig the boat and then do what they were doing on this side completely opposite so they could make it happen on that side. There's times when God, when God has to re-rig you <laughs> in order to get the blessing to you. What does a re-rig look like? Sometimes God moves you from a different state to Florida. That's a re-rig. That's a re-rig. What does re-rig? Sometimes God has to take you out of the job that you're in and put you in a different job. That's a re-rig. That's a re-rig because you had visions of, well, I'm going to just retire from this place and everything's going to look great, but all of a sudden something happens and wham! Re-rig. Look at your neighbor and say, re-rig. God's re-rigging you. Sometimes God has to re-rig us. Amen. Amen. Sometimes I've found out through, through the years, you know, preaching and the ministry, and I have to speak from what I'm familiar with, preaching and the ministry and things like that, you have to adapt to it throughout the years. Years ago when I first started, the higher you jumped, the louder you hollered, the more you yelled, the more haws you had while you were preaching, the more anointed people thought you were. I found out through the years that it's much more advantageous to teach the Word. It gets into people better. I heard my pastor one time make a statement several years ago. He was getting all cranked up and excited. And, you know, he'll say, makes me want to kick a shoe. That's where I get that. I get that from my pastor. And I've seen him kick a shoe. I have. He'll kick a shoe. You guys would be in the danger zone over here. He would <laughs> kick a shoe. <laughs> but he was getting all cranked up and he just stopped. And he pulled down and he said... I want to just keep doing that, but it's better for you if I just teach the Word and get it in you. Well, as time goes on, I've found out that God had to re-rig me. There's times when God has to re-rig you, and so God's techniques are perfect. Sometimes God has to re-rig you to get in line, for, get you in line to receive what you need from the Lord. Sometimes you have to do things differently than you did before. They had to fish backwards. Sometimes you have to do things differently. Some of you say, well, you know, that's just out of my comfort zone. Let me tell you something about a comfort zone. If you've got a comfort zone, you've probably been there too long. Because we get into these comfort zones and what happens is we get stuck in the comfort zone. Because in the comfort zone, you know, we know how God's going to, we're going to act and God's going to react or God's going to act and we're going to react and this is how it's going to happen. The comfort zone is, well, you know, 30 years ago they used to sing uh, when we all get to heaven every service and people would shout and dance and worship the Lord and things like that. And I just think we ought to be singing that every service now. That was your comfort zone. That's over. That was 30 years ago. 50 years ago. Did they have telephones 50 years ago? I don't know. You, you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? And so sometimes what we have to do is we have to say, you know what, Lord? I, if you've got to blast me out of this comfort zone, that's fine. Listen, it's very hard to believe God when you're in a comfort zone because you already have the answers. 
And when you think you've already got the answers and you're in your comfort zone, and there's nothing wrong with when we all get to heaven, there's nothing wrong with the old gospel ship, there's nothing wrong with I'll fly away, and we sing them every now and then, but every single service. We don't do that anymore because we need to keep moving forward. Sing a new song unto the Lord. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So we go back, we hook some of those old songs, and then we embrace the new songs too, and we try to build that bridge. It's important for us as a church right here in West Pasco County to be reaching out to the next generation and you say, well, I just don't like the way they act. I don't like the way that they dress. I don't like the way that they conduct yourself. They're not going to act like they're 50. Wow. I'm running into a brick wall. I'm going to sit down and have a talk with y'all. You're at, you know, uh uh-huh, mm-hmm. What makes you think they're going to act with the wisdom of a 50-year-old when they're 20? Did you? Did you disappoint your parents? Did you disappoint your teachers? Did you act like a heathen? Did you do things that made your parents scratch their head and say, I don't know why they don't listen to us? Did you do that? What makes you think that they're not going to be that way? What did your parents do? They loved you anyway. Right? What did your pastor do? He loved you anyway. What did they do? And and here's the thing. If we don't watch it, we're just going to end up being nothing but an old church. If we don't watch it, we're just going to be an old church where we're attractive to nothing but old people. You say, well, I just don't know if I like that or not. Listen, you don't go to the young churches because they're just attractive to young people. Right? What if there was a place where we could worship to God with multi-generations? What if there was a place where young people and middle-aged people and older people could get together and they could realize that the anointing of the Lord and the power of God flows from generation to generation to generation and we can coexist and work and do things together. It might grind against you some just a little bit. It might get you out of your comfort zone. It might get the young folks out of their comfort zone just a little bit. I don't think we ought to pander to everything that they want either. Here's the thing. God has called us to run this race together and we need to run this race together how are we going to launch out into the deep let the shoreline go and catch every kind of fish if we're not open to the heart of Jesus for God so loved just the old people that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever for God so loved just the young people that he gave his no 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 For God so loved the world. Old and young and red and yellow and black and white. And if there's green, purple on Mars, God loves them too. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God can save the man in the moon. So, if you have a comfort zone, you probably hung out too long. Jesus recruited people to his team. We're talking about a team mentality. Jesus recruited people to his team who already had an understanding of partnership. 
They had an understanding of the power of partnership. Look, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 7, they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. Luke 5 and 10 says, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon, or partners with Peter, Simon Peter. So Peter, James, and John were business partners. We can always accomplish more together than we can alone. Let me say this, provided we have the right partners. If you're not hooked up right, sometimes it's better to be alone. So I want us to look at the ministry team of Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, I want us to take a real quick look at the ministry team of Jesus. These are the 12 apostles that Jesus, and maybe you've never looked at them like this before, and I kind of worked on this for a few hours yesterday. I wanted to make sure that I was getting it right. Number one, Jesus recruited Peter. Peter was an outspoken leader. He was very bold. He was very courageous. Jesus recruited Andrew. Andrew was known for introducing people to the Lord. So Andrew was a networker. So we got a leader and we have a networker. Then James, the son of Zebedee, was always around and he always seemed to be there and he was a helper. John, the son of Zebedee, was a prolific and prophetic writer. He wrote the Gospel John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he probably wrote the Revelation of Jesus, which is what we call Revelations. Philip, very possibly, was a Greek scholar. His name is Greek, signifying that Jesus had a multicultural mindset in the recruitness, in the recruiting of his apostles. The reason I think that he may have been a Greek scholar is because Greeks were known as scholars, and he went to Bartholomew and he said this, we found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he was a scholar. Bartholomew, there's not very much known about Bartholomew. He was a quiet man, evidently in the scripture, because the rest of them would write books and whatnot, but Bartholomew didn't do any of that. So he was a quiet man, which leads me to think that he was probably more of a thinker. He was commonly known as Nathaniel. Not much is written about him, but Philip told him about Jesus, and he's mentioned in the listings of the 12 apostles almost every time. Then you've got Matthew, the tax guy. The tax collector, the government guy. All right? And then you've got Thomas. People call Thomas, the, they call him Doubting Thomas. That's the name that they've put on him, Doubting Thomas. But Thomas was a skeptical realist. He was also faithful because he stuck with the disciples even after he thought Jesus was dead. So there, there you have it. Then you've got James, the son of Alphaeus. He was an administrator. He was probably the leader of the church at Jerusalem after James, the son of Zebedee, had been martyred by Herod the first. Simon called the zealot. Oh, I did a little, I spent a little time studying this guy. Simon the zealot was the MMA fighter of the group. That's what he was. He was the rough guy. He was probably one of the wild followers of Judas the Golanite, whose radical group of fanatics thought that any deed of violence was justified for their faith and freedom. So they were like a political street gang, except worse. And they were larger. They were called Canaanites with a K, not to be confused with Cana of Galilee. 
Then you've got Judas, the son of James. He was the armor bearer. He was always around and seemed to have an earnest, tender, loving, and nurturing disposition. And that's what made him a good armor bearer. He possibly authored the book of Jude and is commonly known as Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus. And he's not to be confused with Jude, the brother of Jesus, or Judas Iscariot. So in the different places where you find Thaddeus, that is probably Jude, Judas, the son of James. And then you've got Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. He was the treasurer, the treasurer of Jesus' ministry. He later betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and that's what he's known for. But what he's not known for is that he said whoops and turned around and tried to go make it right, only to find out it was too late. And so he committed suicide. He hung himself. Judas. So, in the ministry team of Jesus, we have an outspoken leader, a networker, a helper, a writer, a scholar, a thinker, a tax guy, a realist, an administrator, a fighter, an armor bearer, and a treasurer. What a ministry team. Now, let me say this, because I'm a pastor and I have to teach, you know. There are right people and there are wrong people for your life. And there, there might be someone who is a right person for someone else, but they're a wrong person for you. It doesn't make them a bad person. It's just that they weren't assigned by God to run the race with you. You need the right team around you to do life correctly, to maximize your impact for the kingdom, to maximize your business for God. You need the right people around you. You need a team like Jesus had. You need leaders, networkers, helpers, writers, scholars, thinkers, tax people, realtors, administrators. You even need a few fighters. You know, you need people that'll be an armor bearer, minister to the needs of others, and you need people to take care of the money. You need treasurers. Get the right people around you. There's right people and there's wrong people. Don't, <laughs> whoa, be, be careful, Jonathan. Okay, all right. Don't get busy trying to recruit people just because you like them. I have seen many people recruit because of relationship over quality only to find out that later on that decision created the demise of their business or their relationship. Let God be involved in putting your life team together. So in Luke chapter 5 and verse number 10, Jesus looks at them, and here's some more red words. He looks at Peter, James, and John. We could, could have went on down through there and beckons their partners. He felt Simon saw as he comes to Jesus, says, I'm a sinful man, Lord. And they, that, those that were, that were with him were astonished and all of this. Then Jesus, and Jesus looks at James and John and the sons of Zebedee, who the Bible calls the sons of thunder, uh, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said, fear not, for from this day forward, you're going to catch men. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, God already has his eye on you. In fact, God's had his eye on you for a long time. John 15, 16 says this, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you 
that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Let me just kind of shrink that down into modern vernacular and say it like this. John 15 and verse number 16 says this, God said about you, I have chosen you for lasting success. Shall we read the scripture again with that in your mind? God saying, I have chosen you for lasting success. Listen, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, success, and that your fruit should remain lasting success. That whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. God has chosen you for lasting success. That's the scripture. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says this. In the Amplified, it says this. Even as in his love, he chose us. I like this. Actually picked us out for himself as his own. In Christ, before the foundation of the world. That means before the mess that my life has been, God chose me. God knew that there were going to be messy times in my life. God knew there were going to be challenged times in my life. God knew there were going to be difficult times in my life. But even before the foundation of the world, He looked down through the eons of time and said, I choose him or her for myself. that we should be holy, consecrated, and set apart, that's the definition of sanctification, and blameless in His sight, even above reproach before Him in love. For He ordained us. That means He destined us, and He planned in love for us to be adopted and revealed to the world as His own children through Jesus Christ in accordance with the purpose of His will because it pleased Him and it was His kind intent. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say, you're not an accident. You're chosen. You're chosen. You're chosen. You're not just chosen to be successful and have lasting success, but you're chosen by God to walk with God, to have access to His wisdom, to have access to the anointings that are necessary for you to be successful. You are chosen by God to be holy, to be consecrated, to be set apart for the Lord and to walk in His love. You are chosen by God. It pleased Him and it was His kind intent so that we might be to the praise and the commendation of His glorious grace, favor and mercy, which He so freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. The commendation of His grace and mercy. Have you ever been to a ceremony where a military person received a commendation for valor? What happens is the leader of that platoon or sometimes even in the White House, the president will take that commendation and they will pin it on that person. And from that day forward, they are known as carrying that commendation. The Word of God says that He has chosen us for commendation of His grace and favor. You know what that means? 
That means when you give your life to Jesus and surrender to His will for your life and you start walking with the Lord, that He pins His grace and He pins His favor on you and everywhere you go, you will be known as there goes that grace guy, there goes that favor guy, there goes that Christian person, there goes that person that, that lives in God's abundance. That's them. That's them. It's their favor. I can't quit yet. Sometimes I think I preach too long and so I put a timer on myself and it didn't work. It didn't work. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12 says this. And this is in the message translation. Oh my goodness. It says, Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Now, I want to ask you some questions here. Look around you. I'm not talking about right now. I know that, that sounds like it. But you can do that too. That's fine. That's fine. You can do that too. But look around you. Who's on your life's team? Who are the people that you've drawn close to you? Are they there because God placed them there? Here's a real big question. Is God on your team? Ah. Oh my God. I don't know why in the world people wouldn't want God on their team. Is God on your team? Here's my, here's my challenge to you this morning. Let God connect you to the right people. God knows better what we need than what we know. Sometimes God takes us places for different reasons than what we think. Do you really think that the night before Peter went out there to go fishing all night long, he was sitting there at supper and he just thought to himself, well, I'm going to fish all night long and then I'm going to run into this guy in the morning while I'm mending my nets and he's going to tell me to go out and cast a net and then I'm, at, by the end, of, at this time tomorrow, I'm going to have given up my business and be following someone else. Do you really think Peter thought that? No, 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 it probably never crossed his mind. I'm pretty sure that Peter, James, and John never gave one thought to following Jesus before Jesus asked them to follow him. They had their life set. They were living in a beautiful place where there was fruit year-round and there was fish in the sea and they were living in a place where the four seasons were prevalent and it was just wonderful, it was beautiful and life was going well. And, and so Peter, I'm pretty sure, was not planning on Jesus stopping by the next morning while he was mending his nets and I'm pretty sure that Peter did not think that by the end of today I'm going to have a career change. I'm pretty sure he wasn't thinking that. Sometimes God takes us places for different reasons than we think. See, we are bound to the barriers of our knowledge. But God knows way more than we do. And God has a much larger bird's eye view of our life than we do. We are bound to the barriers of our knowledge. That's why it's important to let God be on your team. Because when God is on your team, he can see into your past, 
He can see in your present and he can see into your future and he can order your steps. Let God lead your team. Let God lead your life team. Hallelujah. Now, there are people that God has designed to be a part of your life. And for the most part, they're going to be a blessing. There really are. There are people that were created by God to be a part of your life. And you were created by God to be a part of other people's life. Great example. Donna was complaining the other day because I had left my shorts in the floor again. And I looked at her and said, Honey, I give you purpose. I can say that because I live in grace and I live in favor. No, I'm teasing. I think I told you once she looked at me one day and she said, are those your shorts in the floor? I said, they better be. (laughs) It's funny, but the point that I'm trying to make is this. I was created by God to be in Donna's life. Donna was created by God to be in my life. And the result of it is Sophia. And Gracie K. Who cares about Nikki, Susie, Jeremiah, and all of them? I mean, we're talking. We're talking. No. But, but you can take this. You understand. I'm just messing. But you, can under, but you can understand what I'm saying. You were created by God to be in, in someone's life. And, and there are people that God has designed to be in your life. I can't run this race alone. I cannot fulfill the call that God has placed upon my life without you. And whether you want to admit it or not, you need me. We need each other. You're here because you're supposed to be. I'm here because I'm supposed to be And I've learned a long time ago to just relax and live in that truth. People come to church. Oh, this is the most wonderful place. And three months later, Pastor, I think the Lord's moving me. No, it's not the Lord. God's not a schizophrenic. He can make up his mind. He can make up his mind. God can make up his mind. And here's the thing. Every decision that comes along. And some of the people that God brings into your life, you might be like, God, I I just don't know. I don't know. Well, here's the thing. If all you do, if all you do to recruit to your team, if the only people that you recruit to your life's team are people like you, then somebody's going to not be needed. Here's what you need to do. You need to recruit people that can be leaders in your team, people that can be networkers, people that can be helpers. You need to recruit people into your team, into your life's team, who are strong where you are weak. This church doesn't need another lead pastor. It's already got one. You see what I'm saying? So why would would we need two lead pastors? There's a lot of lost people in Pasco County. A lead pastor can go somewhere and start another church and try to win some of those lost people to build the ministry that the Lord has called them to. And God will add to them those that is necessary to help. Same with your life. 
same with your life. Let me put it like this so I'm very clear. Listen, ladies. If you're married, you don't need another husband. You've already got one. Oh, pastor. Listen, men. I... I have fun with Donna sometimes. I'll tell her, we're moving to Utah being Mormon. I'm going to get you some sister wives and you won't have to worry about working. <laughs> I would never do that, but I mess with her. She starts complaining about it. I said, you know, one can clean and one can do the dishes and one can... Well, this kind of thing. I'm just, I'm teasing. I'm really teasing. But listen, men, you don't need another wife if you're married. You've already got one. Okay. And so there's certain people that God has called into your life, into your life's team, certain people. And you need to be open to that. You need to say, okay, Lord, they don't look like I thought they would look. They don't sound like I thought they would sound. They don't think like I thought they would think. But Lord, you put them here, so I'm going to embrace them because evidently there are some areas in my life where I'm weak. Another great example is I know a little bit about technology, but God put Nikki and Susie in my life to help me with technology deficiencies because I need them. You see what I'm saying? There are people, and there are people that God has designed to be a part of your life. One more scripture. Come on, Mark. One more scripture. And then we're going to bring this in for a close. I've already had to dig myself out two or three times. I don't, I've got to be careful. Oh, and it's almost it's a little 1130. Proverbs 18, 24. Proverbs 18, 24 in the Message Translation. And you can read in the KJV later if you want, King James. Here's what it says. Friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks to you like family. Isn't that right, Danny? A true friend will stick to you like family. People come and people go, but true friends will stick to you like family. You reap what you sow. Listen very carefully to what I'm getting ready to say to you. I'm going to give you some great practical pastoral relationship advice. You reap what you sow. If you sow loyalty to your friends, you'll reap it. But if you sow backbiting and chaos and confusion, you'll reap that too. Just call it drama. If you sow drama, you'll reap that. So it's important, isn't it? for us to live our lives understanding that the minutes that I live, the hours that I live, the days that I live are seeds that are sown. And when it comes harvest time, I need to make sure that I sow the right seeds today so I can reap the right harvest tomorrow. Build your team. Build your life team. Get the right people around you like Jesus did here. Jesus called them to launch out into the deep and do something different than they've ever done. They 
reap the result. Let me say this about Jesus. Jesus didn't go there that day to help them catch fish. Jesus went there to catch them so he could teach them to catch men. That's powerful. That's powerful. So sometimes God's plans are different than ours. And in those times, we need to just trust the Lord. I want you to go to Florida. Why, Lord? Just go. Okay, Lord. I trust you. you to go do this. Well, okay, Lord. I don't have to understand, but I'm just going to trust you. See that person over there? Go say that. Go say this to them. Well, that don't make any sense. Okay, Lord. And you go speak God's word to them and something clicks and you've ministered life and didn't even know it. You're going through the drive-thru at Starbucks. The Lord says, I want you to pay the bill for the car behind you. Okay, Lord. So you ask the teller, what's the bill for the car behind me? And they look at you funny and say, I just want to cover it for them. They're with me today. Because in that moment, they Tell them it's paid for. God loves them. Don't give them your name. Tell them it's paid for. God loves them. And who knows? It might be a single mom who's had a really bad day. Who needs to hear? God knew exactly where I was and God knew that I loved him. That, that God knew I needed to hear that he loved me. So God speaks to you to make a little post on your social media a word of encouragement something that may sound strange you're putting it together and God says make this tag okay you make that little post you put the tags there that you feel directed to the Lord to put there all of a sudden you get a private message from someone saying, this lifted me up today. Thank you for obeying the Lord. God used you to reach somebody on the other side of the world that you might not meet till you go to heaven. It's a powerful way to live. It's so life-giving. When you do that, then when you need a word from God, Let's stand. Come on. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number four, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. 
Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.